Welcome back, everybody. It is our final episode. We have made it somehow in the throes of pandemic to the end of our second season of our humble podcast, which I think is quite a milestone. Do you think, Tom? It is. I don't think we ever imagined we'd be recording under these circumstances when we decided to do year two, but we're still here and we're still recording and I'm still in my car. I have got out since the last episode. uh... (laughs) (laughs) We we are very, very pleased to announce that for our final episode of this year, we have got uh, a regular guest who's returning to our final podcast episode. It's Dr. Judith Neen. Welcome back, Dr. Judith. Thank you very much. It's lovely we to be book-ended here. Bookended the year, yes. you, Judith. You were at episode one, and now you're in episode twenty-one. I don't know how to take that being called bookends, but I, I will. I will take it. <laughs> you know. So um, we've we've invited you back because we feel that we've got um, a topic that you've been researching and have recently uh, written an article on that might be of interest to first and foremost our PGCE soon to be graduates of the programme as they walk off into the sunset into their new jobs, uh, lives as teachers. We're going to be looking at teacher agency within a very specific context but we'll talk about that in a bit I think first and foremost it's probably worth us talking a bit about agency which is quite an abstract concept so to start off with Judith can you tell us from your research what agency is and why you felt it was a really important area of investigation Okay then, so agency is is a bit of a thing at the moment. There are quite a few people writing about agency from different viewpoints and I think that's important to understand that people look at agency in different ways and I've been looking at it from the point of view of teacher agency but agency itself is probably uh, I mean you can you can probably sum it up but by saying you know it's having a say in something it's having an input in something there are far greater people than I who have given definitions of it. So Bandura, Albert Bandura, for example, says that it's to intentionally produce certain effects by one's actions. And that requires, it requires forethought on the part of the person, you know, anticipating things. It requires a self-reactiveness, the ability to self-regulate. And it also requires a a self-reflectiveness, you know, so that you reflect on your own efficacy. But those sort of definitions like Bandura are very much focused on personal qualities, on agency being something which is a personal quality. I've been looking at and, and following on from Priestley, Biester and Robinson on this, who write a really good book on agency and They maintain that agency is not just down to the individual, but it's very much down to the circumstances in which the individual operates. So they they call it an emergent phenomenon and uh, an ecological one. So it's about the person's environment, the environment that you operate in. So that's very much what I've been looking at in terms of teacher agency is not only the personal qualities that someone brings to it, the personal experiences that someone brings to help achieve agency, if you like, but looking at their environment as well, the environment they work in. 
Thanks for that, Judith. It seems to be a real buzzword in education at the moment and and even more important sort of in the climate of of change in Wales and and for obvious reasons, really important to to student teachers who are obviously going to to want to have a sense of agency throughout their teaching careers. But why was it so important to you as a researcher? Okay, so you're quite right. We were um, looking at the development of the curriculum within Wales. And there is a great emphasis on the new curriculum being developed on a subsidiarity approach. So putting the power back in the hands of teachers, if you like. And this occurred through the device of using what they call pioneer teachers in Wales. Teachers who were charged with the job of creating the framework for the new curriculum. So this is quite something really, because for the last, I would say the last 30 years, well, actually, since I've come into teaching, so I came into teaching just as the national curriculum came in in 1989. And power has been taken away from teachers. Before that, teachers could teach what they wanted. And we've gone through 30 years or so with teachers being told to be deliverers of the curriculum, being handed a curriculum in order to deliver it. So this is a massive change that's taking place within Wales. And as part of a research project that that we were all involved in, we interviewed some of the pioneer teachers for the expressive arts. And a lot of the questions centred around their experience of being a pioneer teacher, i.e. being a teacher who is responsible for putting in a framework for the rest of the country in Wales. Um, So it was too good an opportunity to miss, really, to not have a look at the nature of agency with regard to this rather big innovation within, within Wales. And it struck me that there were, when you were mentioning about sort of the context and context being a, a, a key factor in the development of, of agency. It struck me that these pioneer teachers, participants within your research, were inhabiting sort of multiple contexts. They were starting out in their own schools where they'd had their own experiences as teachers um, and them as individuals, you know, had their own kind of sense of, uh, of who they were as teachers and what their capabilities were. They were then kind of brought into an arena amongst other pioneers from other other schools and just being named as a pioneer you know with that all of the weight of responsibility there and then having to work together to co-construct the new area of learning and experience in your paper you look to the world of sociology and, and psychology for a framework to help sort of understand what was going on in those different contexts so can you tell us a bit about the I'm hopefully I'm going to say this correctly the Bronfen Brenner framework and what it revealed about the pioneers um, development of agency yeah of course I have no idea on the pronunciation there's as I've been researching (laughs) on this interestingly there have been researchers all over the world researching on teacher agency including a lot from Finland and and I have no idea how to pronounce the names so I'm, I'm pleased to hear someone else struggling with names this view of agency is very complex 
So if I take you back to what I said was an ecological view of agency, and that means that you're looking at all the different aspects of somebody with their agency. So their personal brand, what they bring to it, their ambitions and their long term plans and their short term plans, the culture that they work within, the structural elements of their work environment, etc. So it's really complex. So we, we were looking for a framework in which to break this down and to find some meaningful messages from it. So yes, you're right, we borrowed frameworks from both psychology and sociology. So Bronfenbrenner developed a model, if you like, with regard to human development, child development within their ecological environment. And this is conceived, it's, it's difficult to explain this, but there's um, <laughs> over a podcast because it's a sort of visual thing. But the model is of a nested structure of like concentric circles with the individual, so the child in the middle, if you like. And there are um, a number of other systems that operate around the individual in the centre. So um, mesosystems, exosystems, macrosystems. And basically, this just refers to the different elements of their environment. So it might be the school, the family, the community, etc. So that's one way of looking at someone within their environment. Randall Collins, who's a sociologist, he looked at how sociologists tend to use micro level, so to look at the individual, and also macro level, the broader world within it which an individual operates. And they're two poles of a continuum. And in between those comes the meso level, if you like. That's the space in between. And that's quite important because that sort of indicates the connections between those two levels. So that's what we used as the basis for the framework for analysing our data. So we came up with a micro level, which is the level of the individual pioneers, so looking at their qualities, their experience, what they brought with them to their pioneer work. We looked at the macro level and the macro level is their work on the national framework. So when they came together from all parts of Wales to work on the national framework. And then we also looked at meso level and by that we meant the work at institutional level. So in the case of secondary teachers, that might also be their work within their department, their work with colleagues in the school. And so that, that's the framework that we used in, in order to analyse what is quite a complex ecology, if you like. Yeah. And on a practical level, you conducted semi-structured interviews with these pioneers and you also observed them whilst they were on their away days planning the curriculum. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. So we had semi-structured interviews because it gave us a framework to cover areas that we knew we wanted to cover, but also the flexibility for them to talk about other areas as well. And it was really quite interesting. So they came out with a, a lot about their own personal experiences and what they brought and how they felt about it. And, and obviously this is quite important. If you're looking 
uh, how they operate and whether they do have agency, how they feel about the processes was quite important. So the interviews were able to capture that and, and we also did observations of them whilst they were working as an AOLE group together. So as an AOLE group, um, there were about 20 of them and they came together from secondary schools, from primary schools, special schools, bilingual, uh, Welsh medium schools, English medium and that. So and we made sure that we had representation within our interviews of all, all of those as well. We interviewed about 50% of, of the group. But it was very interesting seeing them operating, working, you know, within their AOLE group, because that was their raison d'etre, if you like. That was what they were there to do, to come together, to create a national framework for use within all the schools in Wales um, relating to expressive arts. So it gave some really rich data, which we were able to, um, to do some analysis on. So I suppose it's really interesting to think of these pioneers, not just as pioneers of the expressive arts curriculum, but as pioneers for being given a whole lot more agency as teachers than teachers have been given historically, as you were saying at the start of the episode. So in terms of kind of pioneering that process, saying to a load of teachers, you know, you haven't had much agency up to this point. Well, now you've got loads. Is it as simple as that? Well... (laughs) <laughs> that's ex- that's precisely what happened is that uh, they were brought together and they were given this agency and the teachers themselves realised the import of this and also felt very privileged. One of the things that came out time and time again was that they felt very lucky to be involved in this process. Um, it's a sort of sad indictment really on our education system that uh, teachers feel as though they're fortunate because they're being asked to contribute to to the very job that they do in in creating the new curriculum. But I think the implications of what you're asking there, Tom, is is whether teachers can cope with being suddenly asked to do that. And and that's one of the interesting things that comes through in in the results. We we looked, you know, at micro level, macro level, meso level. And they coped very well at micro level. You know, there were frustrations within the group. They did get irritated with each other at at some times and that. But they worked strongly together and they came to respect each other, I think, within the group. And despite the fact they came from different backgrounds. And at macro level, they worked successfully together as well. Because they actually did create the framework that they've been brought together to do. As I say, there were frustrations and there were irritations at times, but the problems came at meso level when they went back into their own institutions. Yes, this is where it got really fascinating for me reading your article and and it got me thinking a lot about how student teachers kind of traverse multiple contexts um, across a PGCE year but we'll talk about that once we've had a look at it in the context of your research so what happened you know just going back on the narrative they've presumably spent multiple times working together at macro level dealing with any kind of insecurities they might have had at micro level and finding kind of harmony feeling confident that they had something to deliver and to share with their colleagues at meso level, but then experiencing some challenges um, at meso level. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so 
Uh, and this is the really important level, as I sort of intonated earlier on. It's 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 the important level because this is where agency is um, is or the curriculum is going to be enacted uh, at school level. Um, so it's important to get this level right. And our findings looked at two main areas which were at issue. One was management within schools and the other one was uh, with their peers within schools. And uh, we found that in a lot of cases the management were very supportive, particularly within a primary school context. Primary schools tend to be smaller and therefore the management tend to be more hands-on probably and more engaged in what's going on. And the the response from the primary school pioneers was that their managements generally were very supportive. It wasn't always the case with secondaries. Secondaries are much bigger organisations and they have a different agenda in many ways at secondary school. We know that we've been in and we are in an era of accountability and exams and things. So they've constantly got that in the background. The what are the exams going to look like and how is it going to impact on our exams? So the management in secondary schools sometimes was problematic. They didn't always, for example, give the teachers the time that they were allocated. The, the teachers, the pioneer teachers, were meant to have two days per week on their pioneer work. And this was funded by Welsh Government, generously funded by Welsh Government. Now, most of the schools, as far as I could gather, actually had that, but not all of them. And that, in effect, meant that the schools were taking t- taking the funding, or some of the schools, um, it's a minority of schools, but nevertheless, they were there taking the funding. And the teachers were doing both jobs they were still doing their normal job and they were also doing their pioneer job so that was a problem for some of the teachers of of trying to to cope with that and and the fact that supply cover or substitute teachers if you like were not being provided for them the other problem with regard to management was uh, as i've already intimated the secondary schools in particular are in in a more competitive environment This competitive environment has been engendered within schools again over the past 30 years or so. And so when, for example, one pioneer was asked to go and do some work in a neighbouring school, a head teacher refused permission for this, which she was told that we don't go, you know, sharing with our rivals. So this is to sort of go back to... You know, the, this idea of the ecology that you're working within, the environment that you're working within, this is cultural elements that need dealing with and need attending to. They're deep in-ground cultural elements of what's happening. So you have a culture of competition between schools. So you can't expect a pioneer teacher to go in and be able to deal with that on their own. So at management level, there were issues, but also there were issues uh, with their peers. So uh, again, primary schools, it's a more positive picture. Um, One of the primary teachers said, or primary colleagues will grab it with both hands because the cross-curricular approaches that were being advocated for the new curriculum are more familiar and more comfortable with the, the primary teachers. But cross-curricular approaches are not the norm in secondary schools. They're more of an exceptional thing that goes on. So therefore, within secondary schools, 
there was quite a bit of negativity that they had to face. In fact, one of the teachers says it was really scary seeing that there was absolute negativity. And it's, um, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting because what we ha- what I haven't said so far is there's, a, there's an assumption that agency is a positive thing for, for development, but teachers can operate agency by not doing something as well. And uh, there's a, a writer, Buchanan, who says, who sums this up by saying there are two forms of agency. One is stepping up, where teachers go above and beyond what's expected of them. And the other one is pushing back and saying, we don't want this. And again, that's a form of agency as well. And that's what the teachers were doing in some of the schools was pushing back. So it's interesting to see that. But, you know, as far as curriculum designers are concerned, really, they've got to be really aware of this. You can choose your pioneer teachers and get the right people. And they've got a lot of really good people in that group. And you can put the systems in place for them at macro level and make sure that they can do their job. But if things like the culture and the structures are not right at the meso level, at the institutional level then it can all fall apart. And that was what a lot of the pioneers were worried about. Their main fear from all the pioneers was that other teachers would reject it uh, and push back. This sounds very familiar to me from my own experience. I remember when I was in my sort of second or third year as a fully qualified teacher, I had the opportunity to go and do some research with um, the Royal Shakespeare Company and the University of Warwick. And I was, you know, coming out of school to do that. And I was I was within a completely different kind of culture, developing new relationships with peers from across the UK, coming back into school, feeling really enthused, but then feeling really disappointed that my colleagues didn't instantly kind of feel the same passion and enthusiasm for what I was trying to implement. And, you know, it was probably a little bit to do with my own naivety, but there's definitely something to be said about how teachers are supported to implement, be it professional learning, CPD, with colleagues on a meso level. I think this really does speak to that common problem that we have where, you know, we're trying to develop as an individual, but then we're trying to also collaborate and uh, influence others as well. Yeah, it, it's really interesting, isn't it? And, and and to go back to probably what I said uh, at the beginning when we were looking at the definition of agency and Bandura is saying it's very much about the individual, it sort of becomes really clear from the example that you've just given, Emma, that agency isn't an individual capacity. You You do need individual qualities there. But agency with teachers is not an individual capacity because you cannot just invest in one individual. You need to put the right structures, the right culture in place um, or develop the right culture in that. So it, it, it's, um, and it, you're quite right, it runs, it runs through all elements of education in that way. It, it runs through higher education, secondary education and, and what we're doing with student teachers and bringing those on and that, you know, you can't, you, you can, it, it's, a, it's a, a communal thing, it's a collaborative thing, developing agency amongst teachers.
I was quite struck, actually, Judith, by the fact you said it even runs through the language at secondary. You said that secondary teachers referred to being released in order to come and do this work. It's almost like these decades uh, of of a very different way of working have left a a lot of teachers quite institutionalised, if that's not quite a kind of derogatory way of putting it, but by the system. Yeah, it's uh, and it's really interesting that you pick up on that because... The language was telling, but there, there's a, oh, I can't think, I think it might be Eisner um, says something along the lines of letting a bird out of a cage. It, it's to do with all of a sudden you've, you've been captured all this time. You've had, you know, been told what to do, been told to be deliverers of things all this time. And you you can't expect that culture to change just because you you put certain things in place it's a it's a far longer process than that and uh it's a far deeper process than that in in terms of people changing their mindsets that was a word that came up a lot when we were interviewing the pioneers about changing mindset they recognized the pioneers recognized that the main battle, if you like, in changing a curriculum is, is, is not putting a framework in place. It's not putting things in place. It's actually changing or getting this through to, to the other teachers and changing mindsets on it in a lot of cases. I, I, it strikes me that this research is is not only going to be very very important for you know teachers and leaders in the context of curriculum change to take heed of, but as I said earlier on, it it really strikes me that in it in the space of less than a year, we ask PGCE students to jump to multiple contexts, jump between multiple contexts. They're at university where they've got various different demands at macro and micro level going on. They're getting to know their peers. They're then asked to go into two different school placements. So a whole different range of cultural features, aspects at, at meso level. And I wonder if, you know, just just knowing that this kind of framework exists, but also that agency is something that is constantly in flux, might actually just be quite empowering for them, or at least kind of explain why they're perhaps feeling the way they're feeling at certain points in the year. Yes, I think you're right. And I think you're right to, to pinpoint the fact that agency is in flux it's not a fixed thing. It changes depending on where you are. So, you know, when we were interviewing the pioneer teachers, some of them were having incredibly different experiences depending on where they were. And yeah, for for student teachers who find themselves in this world, I think you're absolutely right. Raising awareness that, you know, you operate differently, you will have different types of agency in different environments that you're in you, you you're absolutely right and this is this is one of the the main things we know don't we when when they change they have in our own institution they have two main placements and when they change from their first placement they're sort of imprinted on their, on their first placement and they go to their second placement and find a completely different environment exists with 
potentially different values, different culture there, different structures. And yes, you're right, it probably is something that that we ought to give more attention to in, in developing their understanding so so that they understand why things are as, as they are and why they're feeling like that. I think you're completely right, yeah. And it's a two-way process, actually, isn't it? Because when our student teachers start placement two, they're usually really unhappy just because it's not placement one. But by the time they get to the end, they're usually, you know, more often than not, absolutely loving it again. So I guess it's it's probably important to emphasise that this agency thing is not necessarily a one-way street. It's not just all about schools relaxing the reins, is it, at a sort of institutional level. It's a really complicated setup, really. It is. It is incredibly complex. And you're right, all of this, the experiences that the student teachers have, help to build up their own um, personal experience and their personal history within education. I mentioned the book on teacher agency by Priestley and Biesta and, and Robinson, and they call it iterational. And I think it's a really good way of, of describing it. Iterational is a sort of toing and froing of your experience of, of what you gain and then what you sort of don't gain. You, you go forward a bit and you come back a bit. And they call it a, this personal experience iterational. I think it's a really good way of describing it. Yes, it's cycles. And I suppose that you mentioned earlier about reflection being an important um, part of that process. And um, that's certainly something that maybe we are getting right on the PGC programs is encouraging that constant reflection, reflect and and reflexivity. You know, why did I behave the way I behaved in that environment as opposed to that environment? And why did I feel empowered to do that in that context as opposed to that context? There's some natural kind of next steps that seem to be coming from your research as well, Judith, which is um, is hopefully going to be helpful to our listeners. And that, well, thanks. It's, it's been really helpful having your feedback on it, actually, because when you're uh, involved and engaged in, in, in doing the analysis, sometimes you don't see the broader implications of it. So it, it's, it's through discussions with yourself and Tom and that and of of seeing actually yes this is this is not just relevant to this bit of research that I've been doing it it actually has a broader broader implication to it I also wonder, Judith, more broadly, this is making me think of a conversation I had with Ruth Wright, who is uh, formerly of Cardiff Met and now a very big cheese over in Canada, who's written a lot of really important articles about music education. She said to me in the conversation two years ago, I think it was now, when I discovered sociology it really opened up my whole view of how education works. And I must admit at the time, I didn't quite get what she was trying to tell me. But it, it seems that this whole idea of looking at these organisations and, and sociology and how, how things kind of interact in this way seems to be a really key part of getting our head around this, this new curriculum landscape that we find ourselves in. I, th- I think you're right. Looking beyond your own field is really useful. I often say to to the student teachers, "Let will I don't apologise for showing you this video of a, a maths lesson or a music lesson because actually, when you take it out of the context of English, which is my own subject, you can see what's happening a little bit more clearly. And I think the same with us. We're very uh, engaged in our own educational world." 
But when you go beyond that and look at the fields of psychology and sociology and how they look at things and that, it it can be tremendously useful and, and tremendously enlightening as well. Judith, this has been an enlightening process in itself. Thank you so much for discussing your research with us. What we'll do, I think, is we'll take a screenshot of that framework, the Brenner nested diagram. I'm having difficulty to the, uh, the Russian dolls. <laughs> That's right, Russian dolls. <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll put those out there so people can have a look um, and, uh, and look at it alongside your, your fantastic description. As you know, we've got our, our regular uh, slots, our short slots. And I think um, Tom's got something, actually. You've been reading, Tom, that you might want to share. Yeah, now this is an interesting one, actually, because you you may remember quite some time ago, uh, Judith, I think you were in the episode, we uh, reviewed the infamous uh, book, uh, Seven Myths About Education by Daisy Christodoulou, which is a book that has been name checked by a lot of people on this podcast since, and it has been a very, very influential book. We weren't... 100% positive in our review of that book and I don't think in some respects it hasn't made us a lot of friends out there in the education world uh, in all areas and I will say before I say anything else that I do stand by the things I said about that book I think it it, it missed an opportunity to to do some really important things it did do some very important things but but I, I did have issues with it which which I went through in the episode at the time however I have spent more of my good money on a Daisy Christodoulou book he's she's got another book out called Teacher's versus tech. And I found the Teachers versus Tech book to be really good and really well worth a read. And that's even before we've all found ourselves teaching with technology a whole lot more now that we're in the middle of a coronavirus uh, pandemic and stuck in our houses mostly. Daisy Christodoulou's Teachers versus Tech is a really calm, rational, even-handed, balanced look at where teaching with technology can be incredibly useful uh, and where it can be incredibly not useful. And I found it a really interesting read. It it talks about uh, specific strategies, specific technologies, but it does so, as I said, in a really even-handed and balanced way. I think it's well worth a read for those of us who are trying to navigate our way through a very new world of teaching just at the moment. And uh, and we've been doing just that, haven't we? I think all of us, um, myself, Judith and Tom, have been teaching almost exclusively via Microsoft Teams. But we've been we've been having a bit of a play with that platform just to see how we can still afford our, our student teachers agency and, and give them the opportunity to break out into kind of virtual seminar discussion rooms so that they can still, you know, engage in that in that deeper conversation, engage with their peers, still be part of that kind of community that education brings, albeit, you know, f- from their own respective living rooms um so we would kind of our our thing to try i think would be to to try out some of the technologies that you've got at your fingertips and to to have a bit of a play with them and and i think what we found having done that correct me if i'm if i'm wrong here tom and, and judith if you've got any thoughts on this feel free to chip in is that you know start with what you would want to achieve if you kind of had them in a classroom with you and see if the technology can lend itself to that you know don't start with the technology as a barrier and and looking to just what the technology can do and letting that dictate what you then do often in most cases if it's really good technology it'll fit to what your what your rationale what your purposes are 
we always start with the learning objectives as a good teacher don't we this is what we we tell our students you don't start with the activities you start with what you're trying to learn and then the activities kind of plan themselves it's very very easy with technology and this is something i said before we found ourselves in this situation it's very easy to get kind of seduced by the shiny toys and what the shiny toys can do but you have to start with what you want the students to learn or what you want them to understand. And then you find the activities that, that fit that. And it's no different when you're using technology as when you've got them in the classroom in that respect, because certain things you can't reproduce in the technological realm. It doesn't work in the same way. Certain things you can, but then there are other things you can do that you can't do in the classroom you find certain balances change I think the balance of, of how much direct teaching you do versus how much kind of individual study time you give will change when the students are kind of stuck in their houses by themselves but yeah start with the learning and then choose your activities is exactly the same principle you're absolutely that's absolutely right I was intrigued by you saying there's certain things you can do with the technology and one of the lovely discoveries is the use of chat whilst we've been using teams and the students I have absolutely loved working with the students on teams and using the chat on that so the the chat strip where they can actually just type in comments and not only do they you know so well you can get responses from everybody you know just brief responses in a way that you can't do in the classroom that you can go through you can get questions from people in a way that it's not so easy to do in the classroom live and that so you can you can scroll through those but what I'm really fascinated by is that they can also properly chat and comment on your teaching whilst you're going through <laughs> in the nicest possible way I'm sure but they actually do have a, a social chat and they'll they'll do the little bits that I ask them to do on chat as well so that's been a real revelation yeah it's um yeah it's it's definitely a learning curve and 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 finally you know our, our final slot is always is the well-being slot and I had something to chip in on this and then perhaps um Judith you can let us know how you're looking after your well-being in lockdown but um I was speaking to some family members recently who are in the uh, one of which is in the shielded category so won't be coming out for quite some time and I was asking how they're getting on and, and they're doing okay and, and one of the things that they've said that's come out of this for a well-being perspective is it's caused them to really reflect on a lot of the things that they were doing pre-lockdown that probably weren't helpful to their well-being and that they will definitely look to to change or to cull um going forward one of the things they mentioned was you know they spend too much time you know going going shopping aimlessly wandering around town you know wasting time they, they could be doing a lot of the lovely things that they've actually been doing in lockdown which is really connecting with one another and you know the things that they were going to maybe sort of respectfully uh, abstain from going forward like they're part of a, a a committee for one thing or another and and it's not really something that they they're doing by choice they they do it out of um you know feeling like they, they're responsible for doing it so you know maybe that is something that we can all think about now in this uh, as lockdown starts to ease is what am I what am I going to reintroduce but what am I going to actually abstain from that's a nice idea actually what do we really not need to do so many of us have been doing things so my, my son has been learning Italian and taking new things on and this that and the other and Actually, it's just as well to think about what is not really necessary as well. And that brings us neatly to the end of our last episode of this year. And I should say, before we say anything else, an enormous thank you 
to uh, Dr. Judith Neen for coming and being our guest again at the end of the episode. And an enormous thank you to the pair of you, actually, because we've battled through some epic technical problems trying to record this episode today. Recording remotely is no picnic and uh, your patience has been greatly appreciated and the patience of the listeners who've, who've dealt with uh, some crackles and pops and thuds and things uh, through the last few episodes as well. Uh, we ought to balance the books here, Tom, and say a, a, a huge thank you to you for a gargantuan effort in, in keeping us uh, connected and, and keeping this podcast going, um, you know, often in, in some very interesting circumstances. You're back in your car, as you said at the start. So, you know, fair play to you, Tom, as we as we Cardiffians say. <laughs> Well, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you again to Judith. Thank you to all of our guests. And and uh, and if you like our podcast and you want to hear more, or there's something that actually we haven't covered that you would really like to be covered in an episode, then uh, feel free to drop us a line. You can leave us a review if you feel so inclined as well, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. So do get in touch and stay safe and well going forward. And we look forward to uh, being back in your ears in the not too distant future yeah we'll put some things out over the summer probably to keep the keep the feed from uh, dying but our next full episode will be in september and we've got an absolute cracker of an interview uh, which covers a lot of the kind of uh, same issues that we've talked about today all lined up and ready to go but we'll see you then have a fantastic summer everybody stay safe and well that was emma and tom's pgce podcast presented by emma thayer and tom breeze The special guest this episode was Dr. Judith Neen. A huge thank you to all of the guests who have appeared on the podcast this year. In order of appearance, Dr. Judith Neen, Sean Davis-Barnes, Professor Graham Donaldson, Georgina Saunders, James Emery, Harry and Tanvir from Eastern High School in Cardiff, Paul Warren, Beth and Rowlands, Jane Miller, Fanola Wilson, Jordan Allers, Professor David James, Dr. Kevin Smith, Gareth Rain, Barry Crompton, Nikki Hagendyke, Sunny Singh, Catherine Lewis, Lloyd Hopkin, Joe Bowers, Claire Douglas, Lucy Matthews, Professor Dylan William, Mary Myatt, David Didow, Benjamin Field Webster, and Rachel Westerhoek. Keep an eye on your podcast feeds over the summer and we'll send out some goodies to keep you from missing us too much. We'll be back in September. In the meantime, please do leave a review or rating and tell your friends about the podcast. You can also tweet us, Emma's at ethayer underscore CMU and Tom's at Thomas Breeze. Finally, a huge thank you to all of you for listening. Until we come back, take care, keep well and enjoy teaching. <laughs>